assignments or on Rotat, Kager, Georgiadis, or Bashir. Thank you very much. And um, I'm, I'm not following my own advice, as is so often the case, unfortunately, in my life. Otherwise, I would be one of the firmest, smartest, best people around. But um, uh, one of the pieces of advice I give when I teach people who are entering out into the field is that if they suddenly call upon you to speak, if you're not prepared, the one thing you don't do is say, well, I'm, I'm not really prepared. Uh, I didn't know I was speaking until five minutes ago. Because if you do that, what you're essentially telling the audience is, don't listen to me. Don't waste your time listening to me. And most people will accommodate you. So um, no matter what happens, just stand up there and say, thank you very much, and start talking. You know what I mean? You know, either you have something to say or you don't. But there's no sense advertising at the beginning you have nothing to say. If you really have nothing to say, you sit down, right? So um, I, I have to tell you that there's often, with these shiurim, more preparation and less preparation. And, um, and Baruch Hashem, usually more preparation. But every now and then I come onto a topic that has bothered me for years. And it's been hovering in the background for a, a very, very long time. And I have pieces, pieces all over the place that I've been trying to assemble. And so when I really think that there's no chance I ever have of finding an answer, I make it the topic for the Moti Shabbashir. Thereby feeling that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is responsible then to give me an answer, otherwise he will be wasting all of your time. Madachi wastes my time. I don't use my time very well anyway, right? So I took this topic, in fact, two weeks ago, Tzvi Ackman will tell you that he usually is trying desperately to get a title out of me as we get closer and closer to the Shkunatone deadline, you know what I mean? Trying to figure out what I'm going to talk about, you know, and sometimes I come up with a topic that has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about, but something. And this one I gave the topic a full two weeks before, right after we gave the last year, you know, and I wanted to talk about jewelry's jewelry. And this is, there are many aspects of this that I want to try to get into this evening. I'm telling you up front, although I'm usually quite um, careful to always write an outline and put things together, tonight I have a series of Xerox sheets here which have different things underlined that I may or may not use. I have various farm with little pieces of paper in it, and I have no outline. So, um, I can only tell you how I feel. I'll share with you my feelings for a moment, you know? When, in 1968, regardless of how old I was, in 1968, my parents went cross-country, I mean, around the United States, and we went to Los Angeles and went to Disneyland. 1968. That's when Tomorrowland really looked like Tomorrowland as opposed to 1960s land. And uh, there was various things there for us to do, not only particularly interesting, but there was no Space Mountain yet, there was no Haunted House, none of these things. The most exciting thing they had there was the Alpine ride, and of course I wasn't going to go on that. But, um, you know, there was this one thing that to me 
still in my mind is one of the most frightening experiences. It was called Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And it, you go into this little cut and they zoom you here and zoom you there and smash it. I remember at the end, you're like going through this tunnel, you see a train coming at you and the doors burst open. It, the whole thing is just, I'm traumatized to this day, trying to remember this. I'm going back, you know, over 40 years. That's a frightening concept. In any event, yeah, almost 40 years. But um, and here I am, still traumatized with the experience. But that idea of being thrown back and forth and not really knowing where you're going and what's going to come up, that's how I feel going into this year. So I'm just, I'm just telling you this. I'm being honest with you going up front, which doesn't mean that it may not be an absolutely fascinating, interesting share, but there's just, you know, so many different ideas that are swirling around and so many things I want to focus on. So that's all by way of introduction. So now I'll start you off, and it's pretty easy. When you have a partial like Chayasara, there's not so many different places you can go to. And when you have a topic for the Shia that has the word jewelry in it, it's pretty easy to focus what you think Rabbi Yolovsky might be talking about tonight. So we'll make it real easy for you. Namely, um, Avra, uh, Eliezer is representing Avraham as he tries to find the first daughter-in-law in Jewish history. And as he is going through, he sets up a little test for her to pass. We talked about this test years ago and what the test was really all about. But when it actually fulfills its conclusion, when she, when she gives the camels to drink, he gives her a nose ring, which weighs a beka, um, and two bracelets on her hands. Asura Zahav Mishkalam. Each one that is ten Zahuvim. Biyomer Basmiat Hagidi Nali. Tell me whose daughter you are. And the Rashi, of course, is bothered. Why would you give it to her before you find out whether or not she's Hagenis, whether or not she could really be married? Maybe she comes from family that you wouldn't be able to marry into, maybe doesn't fit the qualifications, but he was Batuach in the spouse of Abraham at this point. And, uh, and so he's fine. He feels really good about this. And so he gives her the jewelry and goes through the process before he even knows what he's doing, before he knows who she is. When he tells the story over to Basul, he says, and I asked, who are you? And then I gave her the jewelry. Changes it around, because that would make more sense. But here, now, this is Rashi Shita, right? The Chizkuni and the Daskanim basing themselves on the Bechor Shor says that he didn't give it to her. He just took it in his hands until he asked and then he gave it to her. But be that as it may, um, this is the moment. This is the moment. We have found the first Kala for Klai Yisrael, the first daughter-in-law, one who's going to marry into Klai Yisrael and chosen to become the wife of the of, of Yitzchak, of Inu, the living Korban. And as he prepares this, he gives this gift. Now this gift has been picked out by Avram Avinu. I mean, Lois brings it down, others bring it down. Avram Avinu, this wasn't Eliezer's inspiration. He was told to give this, which is this nose ring and these two bracelets. And Rashi brings the Medrash to explain why. Little nose ring, Becca, Ramuz le Shokle Yisrael Becca le Gugolis, to Meramez to the Shkolim. 
the chazi shekel that Bnei Israel give, the shnei tzmidim, two bracelets, remez l'shnei luchos mitzumadais, that's a reference to the two luchos, aseras of mishkalam, remez l'aseras hadibros shebehen, alluding to the aseras hadibros. So that's it. He's giving her jewelry, which is to allude to the chazi shekel, and to the luchos and the aseras hadibros. Why is he alluding to those things? Asks the Maharal and the Gura Aryeh. And he explains. Because we know that there are three Amudim upon which the world rests. Right? Torah, Avoda, and Gemilas Chasodim. And the Avos, in fact, represent those three Amudim. And when he saw that she had Chesed, all she was missing was Torah and Avoda. So he gives her the bracelets which represent the Torah and he gives uh, the little nose ring that represents the Chatzis Shekel with which we buy the Kabanos. That's the Avoda. And so she now has Torah, Avoda, and Gemelos Chassad. Afterwards, when, she meet, when he meets the family and he tells the whole story to the family and the family agrees to the Shidduch. V'yotia eved klei chesev uchlei zahav u'begodim. V'yitain l'rivka. And he gives the, the family fruit. But he gives her a clay cast of a clay, uh, clay zob. Excuse me, clay cast of clay zob will be good. Now, I would bet that if he wanted to, we could have gotten something among these clay kesef and clay zob and begodim that could marames to Torah and Avod. Why does he choose dafka jewelry? And perhaps, if we push the envelope a little further, why specifically a nose ring and bracelets? Now, the truth is that um, it's hard to read this and hear nose ring over and over again without somebody thinking to themselves some modern reference. Needless to say, I would guess, any fine young lady would go into her seminary wearing a nose ring, there would be some comments, some discussion perhaps, depending on the nature of the seminary, corporal punishment. But, um, you know, nose rings just are not, you know. So, okay, so evidently back then, as far as piercings went, they had ears and they had nose. That was it. There was no eyes, there was no lips, there was no tongue. To me, it's one of the most difficult concepts for me to deal with. You know, I see somebody who pierces their tongue. I get a paper cut, you know, or I get a cut on my tongue, and that's it. I want to die. And they drill a hole through their tongue. Oh, talk about scary. But in any event, but I really, I, I saw somebody, I couldn't even, I went to the store, and this guy's just got things all over him and looked like, looked like uh, bait. But um, <laughs> just like a very scary thing to look at. But you know. But evidently, and I, I happened to mention this in the seminary where I teach. Well, I mentioned, I said in passing what I was going to talk about. Well, I had no time. I didn't know what I was going to say, but I knew what the topic was. And one of the girls says, "Yeah, what's the idea of like making a hole in your ear and hanging something from it?" We didn't even go into the nose. You understand? But I, you know, there's something for whatever reason. Abraham sent Eliezer with jewelry, and that should be what is Marames to Torah Avodah. 
Why dafka jewelry? And Mem Lois explains over here, Nezem hu agil shahayu regilim oz litlais al ha'af kishem shetolim kiyom al ha'ozen. A Nezem was this circlet that they used to hang on their nose like today we hang on the ears. Now I'd like to point out the Mem Lois who lived some hundreds of years ago in uh, Arab country. They weren't doing any nose rings back then. Uh, and in fact, I asked uh, Big Tamil Chacham before this year, I said, what if somebody wanted today to wear a nose ring and say, I'm just following in the derech of the Imahos? So he says, there's a lot of things the Imahos do that we don't do. <laughs> he didn't go into details, but work it out on your own. But uh, he says, a lot of things that you find that we don't do. So I said, you mean because it represented a particular mila that we don't have shaykhs to today? He says, maybe. I said, is it because Sneas is determined by what's considered acceptable in society among the higher levels of society. For example, the Gemara says, if you're in a society where they do not wear veils, it's not sneeze to wear a veil. He said, maybe. And I was so happy that I got definitive responses to every one of my points. <laughs> but uh, he let me talk, and that was nice too. But he's explaining that a nezem is a ring that they used to wear in the nose like we wear today in the ear. evan um, which, which is interesting. I, and it was a, the Ebenezer says that what was a nezem? He says it, there was something that you tied by the forehead and there was a string and it attached itself to the nose. So Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky asked, why? What do you have to... And he says, because uh, Becca would be too heavy to put it in somebody's nose. It would cause damage. You wouldn't like run something hanging down like that. It would, it would rip it. So therefore, the whole thing was set up in such a way as to support the weight, which is interesting because I looked, uh, I always look when it comes to these kind of obscure questions, which is in Ari Kaplan's footnotes, and he says that it's 0.8 of an ounce. That doesn't sound like too much. I mean, again, I've never hung anything from my nose on purpose, but uh, <laughs> evidently, that seems to be what he's saying. Um... Okay, Beseda. So, so at least we have some idea here of, um, of what this is. But, but why is it taking on the form of jewelry? What's the idea here that we're making reference to? And I immediately accessed another place where jewelry plays a pretty major role. Namely, in Shmos, Lamed, Bez, the people confront Aaron and ask him to make an ego. Take your wives' earrings, your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring it to me. They didn't bring their wives, according to this. And uh, the way Rashi learns it, they brought their own. Why did he tell them to do this? Women and children don't like to let go of their jewelry. Maybe while they're fighting over the jewelry and we have these various discussions, Moshe will come. 
and they took off from themselves. So they bring their own jewelry. But Aaron felt when it came time to to make the to make the Egel, the logical thing to ask the people for were their earrings. Not their nose rings, but their earrings. Why would earrings be the natural thing to make a eagle out of? And Sarutskin in the Aznaim Lutaira sends us to another little story related to jewelry and Pashas Vayishlach. After the story of Shechem, so it says, uh, I'm in Bereshis Lamed Hei Pasuk Dalit. The Yitnu Al Yaakov Eskol Elohei Anecha Asher Yadam. He gave them all the foreign gods that were in their hands. The Ezen Zomim Asher Oznehem and their earrings. The Yitmanu Son Yaakov Tachasa Ela Asher Imshchem and he buried them. Now everybody goes on over this. What do you mean they took a Vodazar with them? What did they have? What was going on? The Mefarshim go on this at length. But uh, he says the following. Um, yeah, it had a tzura of a on the earrings. Why nizamim of all the kalim? Shiraka or nizamim hayetzuras. They're only on that. And that explains, he says, by the Egel. He sa- Aaron says, bring the Nizme Hazav Asher Oznei Neshechem. Because Paraku Koha'am as Nizme Hazav Asher Oznehem. And the Zohar Kodesh says, V'kilo Hayulehem Zav Acher. There was no other gold besides the gold earrings. And why does it say Asher Oznei? Yeah? The earrings is a special place to make a vodazara. But also the He not only gave him what was a vodazara, but also the earrings, because that's a good thing to make a vodazara from. Why? They never wanted to separate from it. Earrings are a particularly good place to make a Vodazara out of. Why? Because it represents a, um, a breaking off. It represents a breaking off, which means earrings are very specific. Here, and the Marimlois brings down, 
Why would they make these surahs on the earrings? We're going to listen to whatever the Avodah Zarah tells us. The point here is, very clearly, that there is a specific significance to an earring. We know this by an Evid. When an Evid decides it doesn't want to go free, so we pierce the ear, the ear that heard on Har Sinai that you uh, are Avodah to me and not to others, you agree to become an Evid, or the ear that heard Lo Sigzal and stole, so that ear should be pierced. Years ago, I'm going back almost 20 years ago, we had uh, some guests over from the Heritage House. And um, my son at the time was maybe four years old. And this one person from the, you know, was there, and he had an earring. And my son was just staring the whole time. And, and he just couldn't take his eyes off him. It was kind of rude, but there was nothing I could do. I tried to, you know. And finally he turns to me with this look of wonder in his face and he whispers, Abba, he's an Eved. <laughs> and I said, not in the sense that you mean. <laughs> but, but they put a Zarah Davka in their ears because they wanted to listen to the Avodah They wanted to makabal the Lashon Hara, uh, the Avodah Zarah. That's why they went Davka in the ear, which means that there's jewelry someplace it's there to tell me something special. Now, years ago, we talked about Yeshayahu, where it lists that uh, Kala gets chof dalet tachshitin, and what each you know, there's a piece of jewelry that goes on every part of the isha, and every part of the jewelry is there to represent a different focus. But right now, we're focusing on just two things, and that's the nose, and that's the and that's the bracelets. He didn't. She didn't give him earrings. Didn't give her a necklace. Didn't give her a ring. Gave her bracelets and a nose ring. Uh, the nose ring, to me, I think is the Torah Hamar says something that I think is obvious to anybody who thinks about it. To ete lo nezem zahav lo apa to put on her nose shehi tiferes haponim because the nose is the tiferes of the face. I don't think I have to go into that. That's pretty clear for everybody. Anyway, but um, well, and then he continues. Because she worked hard for the to water the camels. That's why he got it on her hands. But the nose, because it's the teferis of the face. But it means that there was a reason that these things went. There's something specific about the nose. Just there's something specific about the ears. Just there's something specific about jewelry. And and Avram Avinu chose to express it through jewelry of all things. Which immediately reminded me of a very strange Gemara in Ksuvis. Those of you who are doing Dav Yomi saw this Gemara relatively recently. And um, it's on in Ksuvis Dav Nuntes Ahmed Beis. And it says Isha These are the Balochas uh, that a woman has to do for her husband. Tochenes she has to grind the wheat. The ofer, she has to bake. Mechaveses, she has to do the laundry. Mevasheles, she has to cook. Menikes bena, she has to nurse the children. Metzaz lo amita, got to make the bed. Osebetzemer, and she has to work. Um, also make a little money on the side by spinning wool. 
if you give a one shivcha, she doesn't have to do this. You give a two shivcha, she doesn't do that, etc., etc. Okay? Now, says the Gemara, Masnis in the low Clearly, our Gemara here, this Mishnah, is not going like Rabbi Chia. The Tony Rabbi Chia ain't Isha El Yofi. The only reason to marry a woman is for beauty. It's also self-explanatory. And Isha El Labanim. And the only reason to marry a woman is to have children. Now that's one main one. Those two are put together by Rabbi Chia. And then, Vitani Rabbi Chia, and Isha El Tachshita Isha. The only reason to get married is because who else will you buy jewelry for? Zehu. Ain't Isha Ella. I mean, I don't know how much clearer you can get than that. The only reason to get married is to buy her jewelry. On this says Rashi. In very small letters. <laughs> is it just me or the Gemara is getting smaller and smaller with every passing year? I don't know what it is. Anyway. Uh, pretty straightforward buy a jewelry that she should enjoy that she should look beautiful with that's it what else in her wife this is Rabbi Chia now the Maharsham says I was machaving to this on my own I must say but the Maharsham says it so it's, it means that it's something responsible the Maharsham says that this is really Rabbi Chia Lishitase which is Gemara in Yivamis, Daf Samach Gimel, where Rabbi Chia had a very difficult marriage. His wife was very contrary. And whatever he asked her to make, she'd make the opposite. If he asked for fish, she'd make meat. If he asked for meat, he'd make fish. If he wanted a salad, she'd bring a piece of cake. If he asked for a piece of cake, bring a salad, you know? So, so Rob figured this out. So one time he asked for something and he switched it around for his mother. Totally opposite. So he says, wow, look at that. You, you know, your mom's getting really good now. See, you know? So he says, I'll tell you the truth, Dad. I switched it around. He said, well, you're fair. You're not supposed to lie. You know? So he says, Dad, but, but why do you go on like this? And he says the famous line, Omalei Rav, she, she, she causes you pain. She tortures you. It's enough that they bring up our children and they save us from Aveira. So that would work in nicely. Ain't Isha El Yofi. Ain't Isha El Labanim. Right? They're there to take care of our children. They're there to keep us from sin because they're beautiful. And that works out great. What do you do with the Tachshitim? That's a separate statement. And there are those who learn Well, the H. Yosef says, and somebody told me it's the Gra, but I didn't see it in the Gra. H. Yosef says that this ties in very nicely into the famous Gemara in Tainus. Right? The last mission in Tainus, I just had somebody over my house for Shabbos and said, Tell him. Tell him what used to happen on Tuba. Tell him. <laughs> he, thought, he thought that uh, I, the, the other guy was making it up. Yeah? And he says, 
Happiest days on the Jewish calendar, 15th of Avon Yom Kippur. They would go out in white clothing that was borrowed, so not to embarrass anyone. And the women used to go out and dance in the vineyards. On Now, somebody asked me once, this doesn't seem to seem very sneeze. I mean, today, if we arranged such a thing, it would be a little strange. I said, why, you never heard of these single weekends up in the Catskill Mountains? I mean, it's a very similar concept, you know. Except there you have to play volleyball on high heels. But the similar idea, at least, you know. So he says, no, uh, so what do you mean? So I said, look, a, a carom was built, was, was, first of all, there's, there's like thorns on these things. And they're made four armors apart. So they weren't dancing the way we think of dancing. You know what I'm saying? It was more like walking gingerly, you know. <laughs> what did they say? Bechor. Young man, take a look and see what you want. Don't look for beauty. Look for family. Yeah. And it brings more psukim over here. Now, the Gemara says that's only really part of the story. There were three groups of women. What did the beautiful girls say? Look for a beautiful girl. Because what do you get married for if not to find a beautiful girl? And the Rambam brings down it doesn't mean that they were miyuchos and beautiful. It means they were miyuchos. Yeah? The Muchosas, what did they say? Because uh, no woman except for children. So you want to have a Muchos uh, family? You want to get your kids into school? Yeah? <laughs> we could develop this, but we're short on time. The ugly ones, what did they say? Get married, l'shem shabayim. This is a great selling line, you know. Ubilvad shetadrunu v'zahavim, but dress them up in gold. Rashi, sheachrei hanesuin titnu lanu tachshitin. After marriage, give us jewelry. And. Most of the Mepharshim learn over here that if you dress them up in jewelry, then they'll be beautiful. Right? Gemara says, all Jewish girls are beautiful except for the fact that poverty and the suffering of the ages have, have worn away their good looks. But all Jewish girls are beautiful. So the thing is not. So, so okay. So get married with Shem Shemayim and then give us jewelry. The Ben Yoyada has a, a little twist on this which doesn't fit in with, with this idea at all. He says, marry L'shem Shemayim. Let's face it. If you marry a rich girl, they'll know you're marrying her for her money. If you marry a beautiful girl, they'll know you're marrying her for her looks. But if you marry an ugly, poor girl, then you know you're doing L'shem Shemayim. Ah, but maybe now you'll figure, I'm marrying an ugly, poor girl. She knows she's lucky to get a shidduch. I don't have to treat her so nicely. So he says, so marry us L'shem Shemayim. Just make sure and buy his jewelry. <laughs> so that fits in nicely. But, um, 
But Nachamol. So, so, uh, so the Yosef brings down that this Gemara ties in with the Gemara service. Right? And Yisha'el Yofi means marry beauty. And Yisha'el Bana means marry uh, to have children. And Yisha'el Tachshitin means you marry a girl who may not have those things, but you buy Tachshitin. But, but I, I'll tell you what I'm troubled with over here. What I'm troubled with over here is then I would have said it differently. I would have said, Ain ish el yofi, vim en lo yofi, tikna lo takshitin. The statement, ain ish el lo takshitin, sounds to me pretty specific. That a woman, you marry a woman in order to buy her jewelry. Not just as a hechatimsa to be able to make it look good. Strange. It's a strange concept here. Why? What is the motivation? To be able to get a woman jewelry. Why dafka jewelry? What's the what, what is this idea of takshitin? And and the takshitin where we where, where they go and what they do. So we see by we see by earrings that there's a specific significance to this. So um, this has troubled me for a long time. What exactly is going on over here? And I want to read you a uh, gra on Misley. And I'm hoping that this Grand Mishlei will give us the mafteach, give us the yisod that we can then use to put everything together. It's a posik right at the beginning. In Perak Aleph, posik Tes. Here he's referring Shema B'ni Musa Mecha. He's explaining all, this all his introduction to, to Mishlei and what he's doing, etc. Ki levias chen heim the Anakim Lagagarisecha. Because Levias Chain, it is for your head, and and Anakim Lagagarisecha. Around your neck. What is this referring to? Says the Vilnagayim. Ha'inyan. Ha'inyan, kibiyemehem, ha'yosim l'nishosehem, tachshitehem, l'fima asehem. They used to, in their days, make give women jewelry in accordance with their actions. Kamoshim atzinu, sh'amru debaisu the Rabban Gamliel, the Rabban Gamliel, Rabban Gamliel's wife said to Rabban Gamliel, shiaso la. This is a Gemara Yushalmi, wherein it says that Rabbi Akiva bought his wife a Irsha Yerushalayim, which is described as being this sort of tiara that goes across the head and has on it apparently an image of Yerushalayim. And this is what he bought for his wife. Now, Rabbi Gamaliel's wife sees this. And she wants one too. Now, I mean, Gamaliel is the Nasi. He's in a fabulous financial position. Right? Rabbi Akiva had no money. Right? After after he, you know, his father-in-law kicked in, you know, Kabbalah came through, so he had some money, bought his wife, you know, this this uh, jewelry. But I don't know that he was in Rabbi Gamaliel's league. Now, he's the Nasi. So, he could get his wife anything she wanted. So she wants this Yerusha Yerushalayim. 
Lo avdisa kidebaishu the Rebbe Akiva. You didn't do what his wife did. One second. Oh, this is a little late over here. Okay. Meaning, and the Yerushalmi goes on. I, I, he doesn't bring down the whole Yerushalmi here. He says, did you do for me what Rachel did for Rabbi Kiva? He, she sold, according to one shot, she literally sold her hair. She would cut off her hair and sell it, and that's what they lived on. So that he should be able to learn Torah. So you don't get Irish uh, Yerushalayim, because you didn't do that sacrifice for me to be able to learn Torah that Rachel did for Rabbi Akiva so that he could learn Torah. So, so he explains. They made two different types of jewelry, one for the head and one for the neck. Yeah? A necklace. The one who is in Baal Seichel, possession of intelligence, and the one who's in possession of Maisim Tovim. You you make the piece that goes on the head out of one piece, like the seichel is one thing. What goes in the neck, a necklace, is made out of a lot of links that are all joined together. This is maizim. Each action stands on its own. Torah and mitzvos are the jewelry of the head and the body. A Torah, obviously, for the head, and Maisim for the body. The Kohen Yoni Torah, Heim Or Echad, Umitzvah Lumu Torah, because man, Torah is constant, it's one whole. Uh, we've spoken about this in the past. You know, that Moshe uh, Shapiro on certain occasions will give a shear wherein he invites everybody to ask a question on any topic. And then he gives one shear which answers all those questions. Torah is one whole. There's no question about it. If you decide now to sit down tonight and go home and make a model seder, and eat a kezayis of matzah, and drink four cups of wine. It's cute, but you get no mitzvah. And if you decide to go tonight and sit outside in your sukkah, you get no mitzvah. There's no, there's no mitzvah. A mitzvah has to be in the right time and the place. The neck is the guf, because the neck is obviously the point where in the head is connected to the body. And so this is the separating point where the intellect has to then attach itself to the goof. So when the goof, when the body does things, that's considered all a collection of separate actions.
um, he brings in the footnote from the Likute Hagra. Alright, he develops this. But what's he what's he telling us here? What's the point that he's trying to bring across? Because here he explains to us exactly what jewelry is. Jewelry is there to reveal as an external expression what exactly you're doing in this world, what your purpose is, and what your focus is. Where does it go, and what does it do, and how is it supposed to accomplish it? Now, in general, and again, we've spoken about this in the past as well. Last year, when we spoke about Leah and what exactly was going on with Rachel and Leah vis-a-vis Yaakov. So we explained, when we say about the Imahos that they were all beautiful, the idea of Yofi is from the word Hofa'ah, Lahofia, to shine forth. Right? Mechu'ar is related to Me'uchar. When you talk about water that's dirty, it's cloudy, you can't see through it, Me'uchar. That's, that's considered not yofi. Yofi is something that shines through clearly. Right? Lahofia. It shines out. You can see it. Therefore, the Imahos beauty, obviously the beauty that, that in the Imahos was not a consideration to the Avos in the traditional way we would think of it. Avram Avinu didn't know that Sarah was beautiful till he was 75 and only then through a particular specific incident as the Chazal tell us. And, uh, you know, uh, Yaakov thinks Rachel is so beautiful, but he doesn't even realize that uh, she was switched for a different woman till the morning. It, it, it's not beauty the way we would think of it. It means that what's inside is able to shine out. You're able to see it on the external. But it's because it's coming completely from the internal. A man needs to go and do external actions to be able to see it. You have to be able to express it. It has to be something that you have to be able to see. <coughs> Not enough to just... Hence, right, um, you know, you, uh, you find that women have this absolutely uh, almost impossible to understand relationship with their clothing. You know? Which is... The begodim are there to express something internally, I suppose. Because one of my daughters will say to me about an outfit, Ava, it's not me. To which I will say, well, clearly, because you are an organic life form, and this is an article of clothing. You understand? Guys don't have that same emotional connection to their clothing. All right, they have to make sure that it looks whatever it is that they're looking for for their clothing, but then they will continue to wear it until it is reduced just to molecules being held together by pure force of will. You understand? But a girl has no problem searching months for the right outfit and then after a month deciding it's not me anymore and it just sits in the closet never to be worn again. You know? Guys don't usually go through this angst whether this shirt is me or not. Is this me? No, I know it's not me. I don't need this external expression of this internal idea because I'll do something. 
I will express myself through action, right? Whereas women tend to internalize it, you know? When uh, I had to draw from one of the uh, really late Achronim, when uh, Seinfeld was uh, <laughs> explaining to Elaine different ways that guys torture each other, she looks horrified. And so he says, don't girls do things like this? And they say, no, we just annoy each other emotionally till we develop eating disorders. You understand? It's a, it's a different kind of a focus. It's all internal. Someone once sent me this email, the differences between men and women. And they say, you know, two guys can sit and watch a football game for two hours without either one of them saying a word. And neither one will ever think the other guy must be angry with me. You know what I mean? It doesn't even occur to them, you know? But there's a lot of internal struggle going on. The women are internal. It's inside. There has to be an external expression. So when you say, ain't isha yofi, it means that, that there's a, there, what her tafkit is in this world, you're able to see it. Tachshitin, the gross says clearly, is there to express what you're doing. Are you there to help somebody make it in Torah? Then you get something to wear on your head. Are you there to help your husband with his maizim toivim? Then you get a necklace that goes around your neck made up of separate pieces all connected. But you don't just get anything. Everything has to be there for a particular purpose. Now, we are leaving firm ground, terra firma, we are moving into the areas of speculation as we do so often in this particular form. What's the nose? What, what is the nose? So he says it is the teferis of the face. I'm, I'm going out on a limb here. But I do know the following. This much I do know. And that is the first three um, madregas, uh, spheres, levels that we usually deal with are known as chesed, gvur, and teferis. They are represented by parts of the body, chesed, gvura, and teferis, the chest. That's the, that is teferis. It's represented by the middle, which is the balance between the two, and that's what teferis is. If it's people, it's Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and Yaakov is in the middle, and teferis is in the middle. Almost all the time, the nose is in the middle of the face. If it's not, it's really for a different discussion. But in general, it's in the middle of the face. Right? What is the nose? The nose is the power of reyach, the power of smell. Smell is a purely spiritual activity. That's why you make a bracha rishona and you don't make a bracha achrona. You get hanah, but the hanah is ruchani and not gufani. Hence, on Motzi Shabbos, when we lose our neshama yaseira, what do we do? We smell b'somim. Vayipach bo. Yeah? HaKadosh Baruch Hu blew into the nose the neshama. Hence, the relationship between the words neshama and neshima. A breath and a soul. There's that idea of it going in through the nose. I once heard Moshe Shapiro explain that death always smells bad. Things that rot and decay. Whenever there's death, you can smell it. Whereas life smells good. He one time said, a filu 
Hashtunkin on New York, he says, in the morning smells good. <laughs> when it first starts, when the day first begins, and life returns to the world, you can smell it. There's something about that. Those of you who've had the opportunity to uh, to go to you know camp, sleepaway camp, you know, up in the Casco Mountains, something like that. You know, when you first get up in the morning, there's that morning smell. You know, which even though it may smell nice the rest of the day, there's something special about that. When life first begins, there's something good there, right? When death smells bad, you can smell it. You can sense it. There's an ability to be able to, you know, um, when a little child has been changed and bathed, right? Even even if you didn't use a scented soap or shampoo, a little kid smells good, you know. When they get older, that tends to change, understand? <laughs> but when they first start out, <laughs> I'd like to say just a quick word over here: more deodorant does not make you smell better. I think somebody should point this out. <laughs> somebody thinks if a little is good, a lot is even better. You know, sometimes you meet these people who you, you realize if you lit a match, they would burst into flames. You know, what I mean? <laughs> the whole idea is so incredibly frightening. But anyway, yeah, the nose is the teferis. It's the it's the it's the ability to face. Now, I'm thinking to myself of the Mishkan because, as we know, uh, the Chazal tell us that the Mishkan is a is a macrocosm of a human being. Hence, the luchos go on the top, which is the brain. Yeah? And then you move down to the rest of the of the Tzuras Adam. And what goes right in the middle is the Mizbeach HaZohav. The Mizbeach HaZohav is where you bring the Ketoros. Right? That's what smells nice. And that goes right in the middle. You have the, the menorah on one side and the Shulchan on the other, but the menorah, I mean, but the, but the, the Ketoros the Mizbech Hazav goes right in the middle. Right in the middle. And that's where she put the Nezem. And the Nezem is to represent, as the Maharal told us, a Vodah. The Machsis HaShekel, with which we buy the Kabonos. Kabonos which are called a Reach Nicholach. It brings a sweet smell. There's something spiritual there. It's interesting that Shekel has the same gematria as nefesh. And that the relationship between life itself is the nose. You know, it says if a person is in a landslide or a building collapses on Shabbos, you dig down till you reach the nose. So you can check if he's still breathing. According to one thing, you have to go down to the chest, check the heart. But, but you have to reveal the nose. There's, there's where you're going to find life. You're going to find a source there. There's a, there's a power there. And that's where Voda goes. And what goes on your hands? What goes on your hands? Because on your hands are, are, the, are the luchos. Because at the end of the day, although we explained about the neck with the, with the necklace, there's another relationship between the arm and the hand, as we know perfectly well. When you go to put on tefillin in the morning... So you put on your tefillin and you tie them, you tie them down, you come to the hand and then you stop. Then you put on the tefillin shorosh and then you finish. Because when you're about to do something, before you reach the hand, which is the actual act, make sure and stop and think. And then finish it. You understand? So this whole thing is the maisa. It's, it's all the action until you come down to the hand. 
that connection between the hand and the rest of the body, yeah, the yad, that's something that's something where we're moving into where the maisa becomes actual. That's where the Torah goes. Because the Torah is not meant to be learned as a theoretical construct. It's not a concept. It's not an idea. It's got to be lemaisa. You know, you find, um, you know, uh, this this is I never understood this line. I've heard this line from some really you know important people. I never understood this line. When people offer up certain criticisms, they say, "Don't judge Judaism by the Jews." And I said, "That's ridiculous. If you're not going to judge Judaism by the Jews, don't judge Christianity by the Christians." Forget about the Crusades. Forget about the Inquisition. Look at the New Testament. What a beautiful idea. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Turn the other cheek. Okay, nobody does it. Doesn't make a difference. Nice idea. I said, if Judaism is just a theoretical construct, of course you have to judge Judaism by the Jews. And the Jewish people aren't able to turn this into a a frightening concept. Here is a, a uh, interfaith moment. Um, according to the Christians, the entire reason that God gave the Torah to the Jews the whole reason was to show that you can't do it. And therefore he had to send his son down to die so that only by letting him into your heart can you be able to reach salvation because it's impossible. Good works will not get you to heaven. That's the whole philosophy. The whole philosophy is can't be done. So once you come along and say, yeah, no, forget it. Of course you can't do it. But isn't it a nice idea? Ridiculous. You have to judge Judaism by the Jews. Who else are you going to judge it by? If it's only theoretical, it's just a, solution, a collection of ideas, you have to do it. And that's, and that's what he's showing Rivka before we're going to start. You, you did it, as the Tzor says. In the schus of the fact that you ran and did the chesed, you get the Torah. That's how you're going to get these bracelets. That's how you're going to get the luchos. It's because you did something, because you made it real, and if it's not real, if it's just an idea, what good is an idea? Beautiful ideas. Right? Aristotle was doing something very not nice and somebody asked him, how could the great intellect the Aristotle do that? And he said, when I did that I wasn't Aristotle. Yeah? I can I can uh, you know disassociate my intellect from the actions. Here we tie those two until we reach it and then we kick in the intellect and we finish the action. If the if the intellect isn't there, there's nothing to talk about. Anybody can talk about nice ideas. Anybody can throw around concepts. We're not talking about throwing around concepts. We're talking about something that you're going to live with. The Torah is to be done. And that's what he gave. And that's the jewelry that we, as Klai Yisrael, give to the Imahos to be able to show their tafkid in this world. Because their tafkid is to work with the Avos to be able to bring Torah and Avodah and Gemilas Chasodim into the world. That's what we have to manifest. Means that the reason you're getting married is for a purpose. And you're getting married in order to be able to give your wife Tachshitin to say, if it's if it's a necklace, we're doing Yilas Chasadim. If it's an Yirsha Yerushalayim, it's because I'm going to sit and learn Torah. It's, it's because we're going to do something, but the jewelry is only there as much as it is Megale what we're doing in this world. And that's why, maybe, when it says, and the ones who didn't have beauty, and didn't have family, didn't have money, they said, get married with Shem Shemayim, but make sure and get us the jewelry. Because that's L'Shem Shemayim. When you understand that I'm getting married for a purpose. We spoke about this in Boratius about six years ago, I think. 
where we talked about the Dora Mabel and the Neshe Lemech, how they introduced this concept of getting married just for beauty, for no other purpose. Not to, not to have children, not to accomplish, just, just, to, just to get married to somebody pretty. That was the Dora Mabel. So, so they're saying, Dog, you're getting married because it's a shame because you want to do something in this world and I'm here to work with you. But get me the jewelry. Get me, get me the zahubim so everyone understands this is what we're doing in this world. We're here to accomplish something. I'm, uh, I'm in the process of writing a book. And um, there's actually a... Uh, as, as everything in my life, there's always a very, very long story with it, which is why most things never get accomplished. But um, they had asked me, I used to write a column in Chinuch and the Hamadiyah, and they asked me to put it out as a, the, the columns is a book. And I said, I, I never liked that idea. When you buy a book that's just a collection of columns, it's not a book. You know, it's a collection of columns. So uh, I wanted to write a book on Chinuch. And as I started writing a book on Chinuch, I realized there's no right to write a book on Chinuch unless you write a book on Shalom bias in marriage, because how you raise your children has to do with your own relationship, etc. And as I started writing this, I realized the problem I have when I talk about Shalom bias is because most people don't know why they're getting married. People don't know why they're getting married. So I have to start all the way back, you know? So, uh, so the, the working title now is called Life. But, uh, you know, <laughs> in, uh, in whatever, 150 pages. But anyhow, it's, uh, you got to start at the beginning. What are, if I'm getting married, what am I getting married for? It's a purpose. We may have said this before in this year, but, it's, but, it, but it bears repetition, you know. When, when there's a chosin, we don't say tachlin. Now, some people think that the simcha, chosin and kala, is that we don't say tachlin. You know what I'm saying? That's, that people are so happy we don't say tachlin. That's not really it. We don't say tachlin because it's a simcha. Why? So in a secular world, you read secular publications. They say the reason we, when we get married, the purpose is to get our needs fulfilled. And so I want to get my needs fulfilled, and you want to get your needs fulfilled. And the idea is how can we both get what we want out of this marriage so we negotiate to work out a working relationship so we get what we want. And we have our needs fulfilled. i got news for you. You walk into Shul, you know, and you say, no tachlan today. Says, Why? says, ah. Oh, Yesterday was a great day. I went out to dinner, I had a big steak, and then I went out and I, I had a massage. So I had all my needs fulfilled. Right? That might work in some shtibles, I know. But, uh, <laughs> but in most places, that's not going to get you out of Tachlan. Nobody cares. They're not going to make a simcha because you got your needs fulfilled. So, so two people got married. Baruch Hashem, we're both going to get our needs fulfilled. So therefore, we don't say Tachlan? No. Two people got married because they're building a bias never be Israel, because they're getting married with a purpose, because they're doing something for Klai Israel. This is a simcha for us. And that's what we're celebrating. We're not celebrating that somebody got what they want. Who cares? Any Shalotakshitan means I'm getting married for a purpose. That purpose, the Takshitan is the is the Raya, is the is the simon, is the is the is the the of what I'm supposed to be accomplishing. That's what I'm doing in this world. That's where it's going. That's, that's the whole reason. Everything that we're supposed to be trying to be accomplishing. So it says, okay, so if we don't have anything else, at least, you know, there's other aspects to it. But the highest expression is that we're here for a tafkid. This is Rachel and Rabbi Akiva. This is Rabbi Gamaliel and his wife. We're doing something big in this world together. And that's why you'll get a necklace, or you'll get a, or you'll get an earring, or you'll get whatever you get. And the earrings are there to show you that what, what we're listening to. 
The nose ring was an expression of, of this high level of, of understanding of neshama. Maybe that's why the Mayim Loi says that we don't do it today. Maybe that's why that's Tamil Chochem was telling me today when he explained that that was a particular maila and a madrega that we don't have today. Halavai. Halavai, we would just listen. Halavai, we were there. Halavai, we, we, we stopped before we did something and we, and we understood what we were doing and where we were supposed to be going with it. Halavai, we had all of those things. And that's the challenge. And he, with that internal ability that what, what's inside shines out, that realness. We spoke about this also some years ago on Al Khaisar, when it says um, when she was Bas Chof Zayin Liofi. What does that mean? What is so beautiful about a seven year old? What's so beautiful about a seven year old is everything is on their face. When they're happy, they look like Snoopy, and when they're scared, you look good down in their whole feet. You know what I mean? And you know, and my my Moshe, who he's five, he even does the little fists, you know, like this, you know. And when and when they're scared, you know, and surprised. You know what I mean? There's the expressions are so there. And slowly we learn how to become more and more phony. <laughs> so we could be sitting there talking about someone, oh, this person's up, this guy, here they come, hi, how are you? Good to see you. You know? We managed, to, we managed to hide any sense of realness. The praise, the praise of Sarah is that she was as real at 100 as she was at 7. You could see it on her face. You could see that joy. You could see if it was joyful, if it was sad, if it was whatever it was supposed to be. It was it was so real, it was so real, you know, and uh, and that's the yofi. Any shell yofi, any shell bonim, that we work together to build something in this world that's going to last forever. takshitin, to show that we're here to uh, uh, do something, whether it's ma'isim tovim or whether it's Torah or whether it's or whether it's uh, you know avoda. You know, whether it's whether it's you know something that we're in this world to accomplish, and a husband wants to get these takshitim for his wife because the two of them understand that this is what we're here to accomplish. We're here to do something special, and Chai uh, Sarah is one of these transitional parshias. Sarah dies, Avram dies, and um, Yitzchak, Rivka get married. Yisrael, one door ends, the next door begins, and every one of us is given that role. And we're the Abraham and we're the Sarah of our door. And we're here today to try to capture that and pass it on. So Tachshitin is what we're here to do. Miskashet atzmecha. Chazal say, Tam lechachamim. Uh, is the kishut of Klai Yisrael. We're there to, to accomplish something, to, to go somewhere. It's so sad, so sad how many people in this world don't appreciate that they're here to do something or to accomplish something. We just go through. We just go through every day. We forget. I don't know if I mentioned this. I, I feel like I, I mentioned the last year. If I did, I'm repeating myself. The the Yitzhahara doesn't want you to to do evil. That's not his main goal. His main goal is to convince you that you're worth nothing. That you've got no purpose in this world, that you don't do anything. Nobody cares what you do or what you say or where you go. That's the greatest thing 
that he can do in this world. And if you understand, no, no, I've got my tachshitin. I'm here to do something. After they built the Egel and they heard that Hashem wouldn't be with them, they took off the tachshitin that they got at Harsinai. At Harsinai, they got tachshitin. And when they didn't live up to that, they took off the tachshitin. And when we put on those tachshitin and we understand what we're doing, where we're going, and what our focus is, <clears throat> then we can be the real Klai Yisrael. Then we can really go out and accomplish what it is that we have to do in this world. In Mitz Hashem, every one of us should be zaycha to be able to get married, buy our wife tachshitin, to be able to build that home and do a direction that we're going to be able to do something important in this world. Mitz Hashem. Just a quick announcement. We, um, uh, I'm going to be in America in two weeks. So the next year is in four weeks. No, because then I'm just coming back, I'm coming back just to push out this time. I need a time. Please put down the curtain.